Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I am Eki Tepsapornchai. Well, brother, it's good to be back with you again this week. We uh, had had some issues and didn't have an episode last week, so we, we, we sort of uh, skipped a week of at least putting one out there. Yeah, unusual week for us, um, but I, I know our our listeners are, are very understanding, and, uh, but we've got a, got a good topic to, to cover uh, today, um, so I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, you know, so in light of the Supreme Court uh, draft coming out, that being made public, and the possibility of the overturning of Roe v. Wade, there has um, kind of uh, an explosion of infighting within the church over two sort of different positions um, that are both against abortion, right? And so we have a pro-life position and then we have an abolitionist position. And so I've been watching Twitter, and I know you have too, uh, ever since this draft came out, and especially over the last week, uh, we've seen the ERLC from the Southern Baptist yeah. Convention mm-hmm. um, enter the conversation, and uh, the Baptist press enter the conversation, and there's, there's you know, some attacking going on from both sides over you know, w- whether you should be pro-life, uh, and an incrementalist, or whether you should be an abolitionist and just call for the absolute end of everything. So I thought this would be a, a helpful conversation for people. But let, let's start with some terms, because terms, definitions matter, right? And so, um, and, and I think this is one of those areas where I'm not really sure either one of these terms, pro-life or abolitionist, is actually been defined very well. Yeah. Um, you know, but for the sake of our conversation, um, when we talk about pro-life, w- what would you say we're understanding that position generally to be? Uh, we're in favor of life in the womb. Um, so uh, uh, the fetus, as many call it, or the baby, the child, um, from conception, uh, that fetus in the womb is human life. And so when we say we're pro-life, uh, that that means we're in favor of uh, life. We're in favor of that person in the womb, uh, and and that uh, that person's right to live. Okay, so if if that's the definition that we're using, and I would agree with you, that's how I would describe pro life. And in that sense, every Christian should be pro life, right? Right. But now I think there's a distinction when we're specifically dealing with, and I and I think the distinction comes with how we deal with laws in our country uh, that are written uh, about abortion. So whether they're for yeah. or whether against. So yeah. how, what, how would you describe abolition and abolitionist as it were? Because this is the other term. Yeah, the, the abolitionist is exactly what we describe with no exceptions. That's basically it. Right. Um, and so I would also argue that every true Christian should be an abolitionist. <laughs> Right, right. Uh, so, what's the difference? And I, and I think this is why the conversation is important, because you have different people who are viewing these terms in different ways, and that's generally unhelpful. Um, now, I, you and I are not going to be able to set a worldwide precedent for uh, exactly what defines one and exactly what defines the other, right? We, we can only just, I, I think, speak to the issue, because what we shouldn't be doing um, is fighting one another 
yeah. when we're wanting to see the same goal, right? Right. right. Um, and, and I think that's, that's really what's heartbreaking for me. And so I want to set aside the, um, the, the bad actors, right? There are most definitely, look, I just, I, I'm, our church is currently a member of the Southern Baptist Convention. And I will just say unapologetically that the ERLC, the Ethics and Religious Liberty Committee, um, in my mind is just absolutely evil. And I wish we would abolish that. I, I have no problem saying that. Um, it, th- they very often side with the world and not with the word of God. Um, now, I'm not saying that every individual person in the ERLC is evil, but that committee has just uh, become opposed to the word of God in the church in many, many ways. Yeah, they, they are to me a very um, progressive kind of organization. Um, we're, we're seeing more and more uh, Christians or Christian organizations that will call themselves uh, conservative, so to speak, but, but really I would describe them as being more progressive. And uh, so I would agree, ERLC, uh, I would put into that camp as well. I, I see them. Um, they, they seem to uh, oppose the positions that um, I believe are the most important ones to take more often than not. Yeah, and I bring that up because I say, so I would consider them bad actors. Um, it, you know, I can't believe anything that they say. They say one thing and they do something quite differently in the courts and things like that. So I want to set aside those guys for the sake of the podcast, because w- what I really want to talk about is people who are in the church um, who love the Word of God, who are doing their best to be in line with the Word of God, and who then may find themselves in some uh, caught up in this opposition uh, between being a pro-life, quote unquote, or a abolitionist, right? Um, and, and so, I don't think that you and I or most of our listeners are aiming for the same thing people like the ERLC are aiming for. Um, but I think there are a lot of people within the church who would say, no, I'm pro-life, I'm an incrementalist. Um, and, and why don't you go ahead and just define that term? What do we mean when we say incrementalist? I'm actually not positive. I, I would assume that means that uh, we, we're, we're looking to get small victories, right? Because, I mean, um, the abortion issue right now in some places, and I know in California, they're, they, they've got a bill uh, underway that they're trying to make it okay to basically murder the child even after birth. Um, but a lot of places have been trying to push to, that abortion or, or murder is okay all the way up till birth. Uh, incrementalist might be one, at least the, as I understand it, one who is willing to, um, to, to settle for smaller victories. Okay. Instead of all the way up to birth, can we at least limit it to the first two trimesters or the yeah. first trimester or, or something like that? And certainly I, I understand, um, I understand the, the rationale behind that because to save some lives is better than to save no lives. Um, but I think we need to be very clear that that's not our goal. Yeah. Um, at least that's not our goal. Just to, you know, we, we might get those small victories, but that's not the stopping point. That's not where we say, okay, we've won. We don't have to fight this issue anymore. I think we push all the way for uh, the abolitionist view, which, which views that it says that um, any, anytime you abort a child in the womb, it's murder. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I would agree with you. I think that's rightfully uh, the, the, how we would describe incrementalism. And, and it, but it is just what it sounds like. And I think really the two um, opposing views are abolitionist versus incrementalism. And it really, they're really an, only an opposition in, I think, um, maybe philosophy of, of addressing laws. Right. In our nation. Yeah. And, and so one group would say, nope, let's not even um, we, we don't want to pass a heartbeat bill. Right. We, we want to pass a just no abortion period bill. And that's what we're not going to settle for any less than that. 
Um, and then an incrementalist would say, oh, no, yes, let's cheer on the heartbeat bill because, again, we're saving some lives that we never would have saved before. And yeah. so we're quite happy with that. Uh, let's just not stop there. And I, I think what makes the conversation difficult is you do get people who are all over the place with these mm-hmm. terms. And so you get someone who says they're pro-life, and, um, but, but then they want to make exceptions for abortion. Okay, well, then that's not genuinely pro-life if we're defining it using a biblical understanding of life. And that's really, we've got to get away from the political use of that word. Uh, we, we, as Christians, we need to understand what we mean, and maybe we need to come up with a different term. Uh, pro-life has almost become just so associated with the conservative political party with guys who are quite happy to abort for certain reasons, but that's not the Christian position, right? When a Christian says pro-life, what we would mean is that there is never an acceptable reason for abortion because abortion is murder, and there's never an acceptable reason before God for murder. Um, And we'll kind of get into those things. And so I think it doesn't help that we're using language that is, you know, for the most part, worldly language, but we mean something quite different. And so you get people who are Christians who would say, yes, I'm pro-life, but, but then they're only pro-life uh, up until you get to rape or up until yeah. incest or up until whatever, um, X, Y, Z. And then they say, well, okay, except for this, except for this, except for this. Well, then yeah, you're not I, really pro-life at that moment. Right. And, and to make it even more complicated, and, and this shouldn't surprise anyone. I mean, even the term and its traditional application has been um, stretched by some who are progressives that will say that, well, the real pro-life people are the ones who are pro-life from uh, from birth all the way to to death. Uh, and, and really what they're saying is that we're pro-life because we're focusing on trying to improve the quality of life for all those who are living first and foremost. And once we can improve the quality of living for those who are actually alive, then we can also address those um, who are, are going to be born. And, and w- but really what that, what that uh, position, the opinion that that position really communicates is that it's not even worth um, talking about the child coming out of the, the womb if you're not going to assure that that child's going to have a certain quality of life. It's a bogus position, in my my opinion, um, and and it's one that they they're trying to stretch to say that really the the, the people that we call pro life are really more pro birth, and they're the ones that are true pro life. So that's outside of the scope here, but that's also another attempt by progressives, as is often the case, to take terms and try to to try to shift its meaning. Yeah, and and I'm, I'm always of the belief that look, if you have the truth on your side. You never have to change the meaning of words. You never have to. You never have to to take over words and then try to make them mean something other than they have traditionally meant. Um, so, just rest upon the truth uh, and 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 not uh, not and not be uh, be manipulated uh, emotionally manipulated by those who will talk about uh, those other issues. Because while it, it may be worth talking about how quality of life can be improved uh, for people who are living, it still does not justify. Uh, a mother taking the life of the child inside yeah. of her womb. And I would argue that that's typically not the reason anyway, why, uh, why a mother is taking, taking her child anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I think, you know, we need to adopt the understanding as Christians that we're, we're, look, we have a Christian worldview and we have a value for life. 
whatever you want to call that. And I think we need to be careful that we don't create division, which is ungodly in the church over the terms pro-life and abolitionist. Now, I don't use the term pro-life, and there are lots of reasons I don't do that. I would say I'm an abolitionist. Um, But I want to touch on at least my view Uh, Because I think I hear a lot of other abolitionists who share the view and maybe some misunderstanding when it comes to how we approach laws. Um, I I, I think I saw Tom Buck uh, put out a thread of tweets and I, I can't. You know, quote it verbatim, but he expressed very well what I think is is true. As someone who wants to see for myself, and and I know you too, I want to see all abortion um, under any circumstance illegal, totally. Um, period across the board, um, and and the moment someone says, "Well, what about?" No, there there are no whatabouts, and there's no whatabouts because God's standard, yeah. uh, right? Um, that that that's what it is. There is never an acceptable time to murder an innocent person, and a preborn child is an innocent person in that way. Right, right. And, um, and just to just to clarify a couple of things, and I, I'm sure most of our listeners understand this. If Roe v. Wade is overturned, it doesn't mean abortion is illegal. Uh, it means now the decision gets kicked down to the states, right. and the states have to make decisions as to where they stand w- with abortion. It's just not a kind of a federal mandate, if you will, or a federal law. <clears throat> and the, the the other part of that, when we talk about those exceptions, um, I, I will say this because I, I'm with you. There are no exceptions, and it's really easy to take that position when you understand, look, that's human life. That is innocent human life. There is no reason why you um, take innocent life. I don't, I don't care how that, how that life started. Um, but even for those that will argue, well, you guys, um, you, you guys are cruel because you're saying that if a woman is raped, she needs to, she needs to keep that child. And, and that child is going to be a horrific reminder of what has happened to her and all that. And even if, even if I, I would say this, and this is where I believe the other side is inconsistent, because even if you're going to argue that there is a case for that, um, and, and I'm talking about the left. I think uh, pro-life folks make a true exception. But even if you're going to argue that that situation, where do you stand with the rest of the 99 plus percent of abortion cases where it's not starting from rape? You know, and, and so I think when you're dealing with people who are against the uh, against the pro-life position completely, they go to that, realize they're arguing a very, very minor percentage. And my next question would be, well, what do you think about the other 99 plus percent? What is your position there? Because if your position there is that a woman should be able to murder their child as well, then there's no discussion to be had, right? Uh, there, there's nothing at all. Yeah. But but yeah, within the evangelical camp, that, that is often the exception case that that is being argued. But if you make the argument that it's okay in these exception cases, then what's to stop you from making the argument that we can murder children who are already born um, because they have certain handicaps or defects yeah. or because they've lost their parents or something like that. I mean, the only reason we have these conversations in the church is because we don't know who God is. I, I, that's the reason we even have these conversations. We don't understand God's holiness and we don't understand who God is. And because we don't understand who God is, we don't understand how God views life, right? It, you cannot find an exception to murder in scripture, it's just sin, right? I mean, yeah. it, it would be no different than trying to find an exception for adultery or fornication or covetousness or lying or, it, you know, there are just no exceptions. God doesn't operate in a gray world. 
Um, and these are not difficult passages that we see in Scripture. But uh, I want to go back to, again, in the church and, and specifically dealing with the infighting between people who want to see the same end results. Um, it, you know, back to my position being an abolitionist, I, I think what people who would uh, who, who are afraid of that word right now or who maybe are even uh, encouraging fighting against abolitionists, because I've seen that, too, is I, I think you need to understand that um, a, at least a lot of abolitionists that I have been exposed to and that I've seen, it's not that we're opposed to incrementalism in laws. Yeah. And so, absolutely, I, I rejoice over the heartbeat bill. It's just not enough. Right. We don't want to stop there. Now, why can I say that as, as an abolitionist? Well, because I understand that we, when dealing with the laws, we're not working with Christians predominantly. Right. A lot of these Republicans aren't Christian. Right. Uh, and, and I think we, we have to remember that um, we're dealing with a worldly system, a godless system. And so if we can get anything in, let's shoot for absolute and total abolition. If we, if if the happen laws happen to pass along the way while pushing for that, that minimize the amount of deaths, I'll celebrate that. But I'm not going to celebrate it as it's an ultimate victory. Um, and, right. and that's not what I'm aiming for either. I want to see laws pushed for absolute and total abortion. Um, but if things like the heartbeat law gets passed, that's great. But then, but then the pressure needs to be just as much um, as, as there was before that law until we get to abolition. And so I, I think a lot of guys just assume abolitionists are like, no, if it's not absolutely uh, eradicated, then we're not accepting anything. Yeah. I think that's foolish. Right. Um, and I don't think anyone believes that uh, because you would have to assume that an abolitionist position is that either all kids die um, or they're all saved and, and there's no in between. Yeah. Right. But, right. That's foolish. And then I think I've seen some angry abolitionists too. Right. And, and I think they um, accuse a lot of the pro-life guys uh, as being incrementalists and because, well, they are, but but the issue is they're accusing them to uh, of cooperating with sin, right? And that's the issue. And so, if you're willing to, I mean, so uh, basically the argument would be if you're pro-life, you're quite happy that babies are still being murdered, just not as much as before. I think that's also disingenuous and unfair, um, yeah. right? Because really, we're coming down to a philosophy of how to get laws passed that ultimately lead to no abortion. And, and so right. that's the goal everyone wants. And so some would say it's just impossible to get total laws passed. And so we have to do it incrementally. And then you have some say um, by doing it incrementally and not pushing for absolute laws, we're allowing evil to reign longer. And I don't think either one of those positions are very fair to the other. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and so, again, we're not talking about the bad actors because you've got those on both sides, right? You've got people who are abolitionists because they just want to be angry and fight everybody. Uh, and that's a way they can do that. And you have pro-life people who aren't pro-life at all. They're just conservatives politically. They call themselves Christians. And so that's yeah. what they are. Um, but setting all that aside, you know, guys who we know are our brothers and sisters who are thinking about 
how to deal with the issue of abortion differently. I think there needs to be a lot of grace um, and, and trying to understand past the terminology the person may be using. Because just because someone says they're pro-life doesn't mean that they don't sincerely want all abortion to end, period, right? right? Um, and just because someone is an abolitionist doesn't mean they're viewing everyone else as partnering with evil. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I think because these the, the definitions are convoluted and they're not very solid, um, uh, we, we need to look at the person and maybe ask questions about, okay, so you, so you say you don't want to be called an abolitionist, you're a pro-life. Uh, help me understand what you mean by that. You know, why is that? Yeah. Um, is it that you actually just want small incremental laws and you're not concerned about abortion being eradicated? Or is it just you're calling yourself pro-life because you think that's the best way to get to absolute um, banning of abortions? And those things matter, right? And so I guess what we're trying to do is you don't want to be guilty of slandering people. You don't want to be guilty of assuming motives. And I think that's the biggest sin on Mm -hmm. both parts right now. Right. You're assuming someone's heart motives because you don't understand what they mean by pro-life or abolitionist. Um, And and so we're talking past each other and we're fighting genuine brothers and sisters. And that doesn't glorify God and also doesn't help the cause of ending abortion either. Yeah, and that's that's making arguments like the world because that's that's what the world does. Uh, that the world, as we see it all around us, we've seen many examples of it in the news, on social media, everywhere over the last, especially over the last couple of years. That if you do not agree with someone else, then they automatically assume you've got the worst of motives, um, rather than recognize that a person may have the same motives as you, um, but uh, in their convictions and 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 their thoughts, they generally think that there's a different uh, solution to that. So p- part of uh, at least showing ourselves be different from the world is that we don't presume upon people's motives, um, deal with the actual argument that's being stated, um, and uh, address it uh, by giving the other person the the benefit of the doubt. And and I, I'm glad you. You did bring up the fact that, you know, a lot of um, the discussions about abortion are really more political than anything else. It's the conservatives that uh, don't share Christian values. Um, They're on that uh, they're on that issue because they're a part of a party or because that's just they're just making that part of the fight without any real true convictions. Uh, But from from the Bible, we do have uh, those true convictions. And as I shared a tweet, um, I think it was uh, last week, I said, look, there are there are two reasons. Here, here, here are the two-step argument that, that I would make for the um, abolitionist, uh, the, the full pro-life position. Um, one, the person inside the womb is a real person. That, that fetus is a person. Yeah. And, and two, we have no right to take um, an innocent person's life. That's it. That those are the two principles. And, and I think what, uh, what ends up happening, and especially in the political realm, is, uh, is a redefinition of what actually is meant by personhood or life. When does life actually actually begin? And so some of that has gone into the heartbeat build. Okay, can we at least agree that when a, when a, when a fetus is known to have a heartbeat, that that person has life? Uh, and someone, I just was talking to uh, someone who, at least according to his biography, is a Christian, um, said that he doesn't believe that life actually begins until they're born uh, until they take their first breath. And he made this weird connection between really the Hebrew word for, for life and breath are the same. So he automatically said, well, then that means that um, life doesn't, doesn't start until breath. And then he went to uh, Genesis 2, 7, where, where God uh, breathed life uh, into Adam, which is a totally 
different kind of example because Adam and Eve were both created as full-grown adults. Um, but I believe the scriptures are, are very clear that the person inside the womb is a real person. That is human life. And, and we can we can go to numerous examples of that. Well, and yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a ridiculous argument. One, I, I've saw also uh, communicated to a lady who brought that up um, and, you know, basically said all throughout church history, you know, people have in the early centuries, people um, didn't assume it was life until it was born. But I mean, you, you go to the Levitical laws and you have yeah. laws, right, that deal with killing a mother's unborn child. Mm-hmm. So clearly, the Bible has always viewed the unborn as a legitimate person, um, and, and so the Bible is super clear about that. And yeah. you know, and then I posted a few, um, uh, just kind of went through history and guys. And uh, I mean, so Basil of Caesarea, three hundred and thirty to three seventy nine A.D. says this. He says the woman who purposefully destroys her unborn child is guilty of murder. Mm. I mean, this is before the year 400, right? Um, and he's not the only one. There, there are multiple comments from very early um, you know, leaders in the church who acknowledged that, I mean, because abortion is nothing new, yeah. right? I, I mean, you go back through history and uh, I mean, women would drink poison, right? Um, they, they would throw themselves on rocks or you know, hard items. Uh, to try to kill the baby inside of them. Right. Um, and, and so it's nothing new. This isn't a new battle. Um, it, you know, it's just a battle of our age in a different way. But I do want to bring up a, a sort of a different, we, we kind of talked about believers who um, who are on the same page, really. We're just yeah. missing each other because of terminology. Right. And so we need to pull back the emotions and the reins a little bit um, and give the benefit of doubt to those who we know are genuine brothers and sisters. But we do have another group of people, um, and I think they're sort of adding fuel to the fire, and it's an evil fuel. Um, that I, I was reading an article, uh, Baptist Press put out an article, and I was just looking at it before the podcast. And, you know, Baptist Press, the Devil's Press, kind of the same thing these days. But anyway, um, I, but I want to read you a little bit from uh, their article. And so they quote, and this is meant to be derogatory, they say, absolutists assert that one must demand a ban on virtually all abortions with no exceptions, or one is compromising with evil, uh, end quote. Now, first of all, whoever wrote that needs to go back and learn how to write because it doesn't really make sense because he says they assert that one must ban virtually all abortions with no exception. So is it virtually all or with no exceptions? You can't have both of those things. But anyway, um, but the point is he's demonizing people who want to ban all abortions with no exceptions. If that is your position, you are neither pro-life nor an abolitionist. You are worldly. You are godless in that. And you don't understand God's view of human life, period. Um, Because There is never a time, and this is important, if you, our position has to be rooted in God's character and in scripture, right? So, if murder is sin, then murder is sin. And if abortion is murder, then abortion is always sin. Right. And and you can never, ever, ever once deviate from that. 
Right. Um, right. And so if that's the position we take, and it is because that's the biblical position, uh, then the right view would be there can never be exceptions and that be right with God. It would be always sinful. So the Baptist Press goes on and he gives some statistics uh, th- that the ERLC pulled up in the past. I, I want to read these because it's pretty it's a pretty big number of Southern Baptists um, that they polled. So in in that article, they said that 40% at the time of that polling, and I don't have the date of that polling, uh, but they said 40% of pro-lifers wanted exceptions to save the mother's physical life. Okay, well, let's just deal with this issue um, because I think there are probably two predominant camps that fall into this. I think there are those people who just aren't really pro-life and they don't really care about what God's word says. And then I think there are Christians who are sincere, who love God's word and who have maybe not thought that through very well. Right. And and so I think there are those two different groups of people. I really want to speak to the Christians who are real Christians and they care about God's word and they would fit in that category. And, And you can add to this. We have to go back to the biblical principle. If abortion is murder, then it is never acceptable. And throwing out a very emotional potential situation doesn't change the biblical ethic, right? It doesn't change the biblical ethic. Now, I want to say it doesn't make the situation easy. It doesn't make it even any less painful to consider as a human. Um, uh, we, We can deal with whether it's factual or not, but the moment you sacrifice biblical truth because of a situation you now have crossed the line from biblical ethics to situational ethics and situational ethics are almost always worldly because it says it's only it, it's never a consistent thing it's never right or wrong it's dependent upon factors but mm-hmm. god's word doesn't work that way a lie is always a lie a murder is always a murder right adultery is always adultery well what if i really love the person it, it doesn't matter Right. right, is still adultery. Um, it, but forty percent of those who said they're pro-life said they're pro-life, except they wanted exceptions to save the mother, the mother's physical life. Now, this is a difficult one, and I want you to speak to it, Eki. But I'm just going to say that even if there ever was a case where if you murdered the child, it would save the mother's life, you would be wrong to murder the child. So then, what do you do? Well, you trust God with both. In his software. Yeah, that's yeah, that and we've discussed that before in a prior episode. Um, yeah, very difficult situation. And you talked about the, you know, the factuality, because I don't know a single case where this has actually happened. Um, but I, I do believe the right way to go is to do everything you can to save both per- person's lives. You don't, you don't sacrifice one for the other. This is not a, this is not one of those situations where you see two people drowning and you can only save one, right? Yeah. Um, the, the doctor should do everything they can to be able to spare both. And, um, and, and I know that the heart of parents, uh, I think you know how much you love your children. Most parents are willing to die for their children, right? And, uh, and, and so, yeah, the, the situation where in the event that a woman's life, uh, the, the mother's life is in jeopardy, um, I, I agree with you. I think you trust in the sovereignty of God and you do everything you can to, to save both. 
Uh, and uh, and God can perform those miracles because I have heard situations where you know doctors have said one thing and nothing ha- has happened. Um, but to, to take that step and to say it's okay to go ahead and end the life of someone who is innocent um, is not the path that I believe any Christian should take. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, we understand it's emotional. It can be a heartbreaking situation. But either you agree with God's word or you don't. I mean, his word's true or not, so it doesn't matter whether you think it's true, but either, either murder is wrong or it's not. Um, and we, we, need to, we need to come in line with those things before we're ever faced with right, these, these difficult positions. You, you know, and I think, I think when, you, when we evaluate situations like that, we, we've got to once again think in terms of that the person inside the womb is actual human life. So yeah. would you make that kind of decision if this were, for instance, a young child and, and a mother that for maybe you didn't have enough food that you, you thought you didn't have enough food to feed both of them and only one of them could live? Would you just say, OK, I'm going to kill you so that yeah. this person has enough food to last through the day or something like that? Um, I, I don't believe you would. I, I don't believe there's any yeah. case where you would justify that. Right. Yeah. I'd rather I, I'd rather actually just die of starvation than to actually make that decision to take a yeah. person's life. Yeah. Um, so if, if you're if you're not willing to make that decision for an actual child that's already been born, then don't make that decision for a child that hasn't been born because that's still human life either way. Yeah, I, and I think that really is the issue. We don't. I, I don't know that we really, really believe that that unborn child is is a real human, right? If we did, we would think differently. And I think if we understood. Um, God's holiness and and how he views murder also. But it, it's the same thing. We could always paint scenarios, right? And that's the danger of using these overly emotional things um, to, to make exceptions. But it would be like saying, well, okay, so what if you're in a small aircraft? You're in a small aircraft. You get caught in a storm here in Alaska. We get those. The You need to drop some weight from the plane for whatever reason. And the only weight you have is your child. And either you throw your child out of the plane to his death, uh, or you risk everyone dying. Are, are you telling me that 40% of the Southern Baptists who took this poll would be like, yeah, kick your child, child out the door? Right. I mean, it, that's an absurd example, but you know what? It is actually not any more absurd than taking this position, right? No. Because that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Okay. Some other statistics. Um, it went on to say just under 40%. Of Southern Baptists wanted exceptions for rape, incest, um, and potential fatal deformities in the fetus. I, I mean, again, you know, let's just—we've uh, talked about this before. Again, again, if if God views murder as sin, and He does, then instantly, I don't even have to entertain a what-if scenario, right? Right. It doesn't matter what you're going to say. No matter how emotional it is, no matter how traumatic or terrible it is, I'm still going to tell you that murder is sin before God's eyes and he hates it. Right. Um, and it, so then it, it, you deal with issues like rape, for instance. I, I don't know how we've gotten I, it, just under 40 percent. How have we gotten to the place where as Christians we say, you know what, because of one evil done, we should commit an equally atrocious evil. Right. Because that's what that is. So I'm going to murder this innocent child because the mother was raped. Yeah. Yeah, it it, it doesn't make any sense. Again, if it's human life, you you don't make that decision. So if you say that you can do that, 
then what's stopping you from saying that um, children that have already been born, but were born for the same reason, why don't we just go ahead and kill them too? Because the mother said, you know what, I don't want to deal with this child anymore. And for the deformities and, and defects, um, I mean, I think of the book of Exodus when uh, God said to Moses, who is it that makes man blind, deaf, seeing, or mute? Uh, is it not I, the Lord, right? Or John chapter 9, when Jesus said to the disciples that this person was born blind, it wasn't because of his sin or his mother's sin, but it was for, so that the glory of God would be yeah. shown through him. So, God is the one that actually makes people who they are, and it's for his glory. And there are many that um, are born with defects that live wonderful lives, some that live very short lives, but that that's something that we put into the hands of God not into our into our own hands. Otherwise, once again, are we going to start going through all children who have already been born and all young kids and then start murdering those who are less than perfect? I mean, now you're getting into what, what we call eugenics, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, just trying to filter out what you deem is unworthy and favor those uh, that, that are worthy. And that's that's exactly how Planned Parenthood got started. It was the whole, whole thing about eugenics, except really targeted towards a certain ethnic group. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we don't get to play God, right? We, we don't get to assume that if, I mean, how many times have doctors said, if this baby is born, he's going to die. And now this person is 50 years old and they're saying, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm glad my parents didn't abort me. The doctor said I wasn't going to live. Um, I, I mean, we, we have to, as believers, come back to trusting the sovereignty of God. I mean, this is why this whole conversation, I think, is really necessary because we don't know who God is. We don't know who God is. We don't trust God. We don't trust His Word. We don't know His Word in a lot of cases. Um, and, And so, the world throws these, or in this case, believers throw up the most emotional um, you know, and I'm not a medical doctor and you're not either, so you want to ask me about you know, what happens with this particular type of pregnancy? Um, I may not always have the answer, but what I can tell you is if you have to murder a child, then it's wrong. How do you then deal with the consequences? Well, I don't know. What I do know is that you cannot murder a child um, because you think that will give you a more desired outcome. And, and you know what, let's, let's just take a moment and look at some of the verses that back up what it is that we believe. Uh, I mean, I'm looking at Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14, where David says, for, for you, and he's talking to the Lord, you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. Okay, in my mother's womb. He didn't say you wove my body. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, you wove me. He's referring to himself as a person. Um, I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows it very well. And then um, let me take a look at uh, uh, Jeremiah chapter one, verse five. Jeremiah says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. This is the Lord speaking to Jeremiah. And before you were born, I consecrated you and have appointed you prophet to the nations. But, but listen again to what he says. Before I, this is the Lord talking to Jeremiah. Before I, the Lord, formed you, Jeremiah, in the womb. Not I formed your body, but I actually formed you as, as the person. And then, of course, there's the unmistakable 
example that we have in Luke chapter 1, verse 41, that's that's John the Baptist. Yeah. Uh, when Elizabeth, who's the mother of John the Baptist, heard Mary's greeting, and of course, Mary's the mother of Jesus, that the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So, that baby leaped in her womb. Yeah. Uh, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then we, we see there a very recognizable response from a person in response to being near the mother of the, the one who would be the, the Savior, the Lord and Savior of, of all the world and the universe. So we, we see these very clear examples that personhood doesn't start right from birth. Personhood starts really from conception, from the time that the person is in the womb. Even God telling Jeremiah, I knew you even before I did these things. Yeah. And <clears throat> the other argument I've heard coming back is that, well, you know, you're, you're talking about prophets and prophets are a special case. Well, the entire Bible is written by prophets. That's the only example that we have. And yeah. guess what? Prophets are people also. And there is actually, actually, there's absolutely no logical reason why prophets would be a person in the womb and no one else would. And then even if you think about Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verse 4, that uh, I chose you before the foundation of the world, right? Yeah. Now we're extending it to everyone who, who is elect in that verse, everyone who is saved. And, and guess what? God says, I chose you before the foundation of the world. Very similar to him telling Jeremiah, yeah. I knew you and chose you to be a prophet even before I formed you in the womb. So there is no dichotomy in the Bible. There is nowhere in the Bible where it says personhood or life begins at birth. In fact, there's plenty of evidence to suggest the other way, that, that God is the one that creates life and he creates it from conception. And of course, you can go to even the scientific argument. Okay, if you're going to go outside the Bible and look at the true scientific argument, that the DNA of a person is established from conception. Yeah. Uh, from that time, that, that's, that, that, that person forms his own DNA and keeps that DNA all the way through the rest of his life. Yeah. So we, we see in, in every example you can come up with. And, and by the way, this is not purely a Christian position, okay? Because uh, obviously we have conservatives that support this, but I have a, a friend from high school. Um, I pray for his salvation. I, I talk to him often. Um, he is not a believer. But even he says, when he looks at a, at a, at a sonogram uh, of the baby inside the womb, he says, there's no question that's human life. And then this is an unbeliever who doesn't even believe the word of God, yeah. right? So I, I believe that even people who are not believers understand that inherently. And then even the, the, the laws that we've had in this land where murder of, of a pregnant woman counts as a murder of two people, right? right? Yeah. You know, so, that, and that's not an uncommon law. Um, you you yeah. mentioned that coming out of Leviticus, but I think you'll find that in probably a lot of cultures that don't have a Christian foundation yeah. because people fundamentally understand that. There was uh, one of the... Um, the Famous uh, former models, I think, uh, Chrissy Teigen, she, she, she had a miscarriage. She had a miscarriage and she, um, she posted on social media. Uh, and by the way, she's an active pro-choice, pro-murder kind of activist. Um, she's very much into the quote-unquote reproductive rights and all that. But when she had a miscarriage, guess what she said? She said, I lost my child. And, and it's tragic. I'm not trying to make any light of her situation at all. But what did she say? I lost. She didn't say I lost a clump of cells. I lost my child. Yeah. So if we if we really think this through and then come to the conviction that the person inside the womb is real human life and that that is what is supported biblically and it's never it's never um, and there's no contradiction to that from the Bible, then we have to protect it as real human life. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to take a second and uh, go back to. This law here, I think it's actually in Exodus. 
Exodus chapter. Is it Exodus 21? 21. 21, 22 to 25. Yeah, yeah. Let me go to that. And let me just read this. I got pulled up here. So listen to this. And I think, and again, just to make the case from scripture, right? Um, If men struggle with each other and strike a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet there is no injury, he shall surely be fined as the woman's husband may demand of him, and he shall pay as the judge decides. But if there is any further injury, then you shall appoint as penalty life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. I mean, again, so here, you know, you're acknowledging the personhood of an unborn child. And and so we've got to do that. So I would say if you're calling yourself pro-life and you have room for any exceptions, you're not actually pro-life and you aren't taking the Christian position. You may still be a Christian, but you're wrong in that. And I think we should be in opposition to that view. And so I, and and this is part of what creates the confusion. So if you're an incrementalist, but that's your view, then you have an ungodly view of human life um, because there should be no exceptions. Now, if you call yourself pro-life and you understand that there is never um, an, an acceptable exception before God for abortion, then you would have the right position. I think this is why we need to ask people, okay, well, what is your position exactly? What do you mean by pro-life or abolitionist? Um, I I think it would be better if we use the term abolition because it more succinctly and clearly um, helps us understand what the biblical view would be. And that's just very simply it's never acceptable. Right. So I think it would be better for Christians to, to use that term. Um, but if you're going to use the other term, then I think you just need to be willing to explain to people. Right. Because according to this survey, 40%, um, now I, I can't divide these two stats up, uh, so I don't know what the number looks like, but 40% in the one wants exceptions to save the mother's life, 40% Uh, on the other, wants exceptions for rape and incest and deformalities. That's not a pro-life position. It's not a pro-God position. Um, And if you're a Christian and that's your view, you need to repent and change your view, right? Um, And then work towards God's view of that. I get it's emotional. I think, I know in the Southern Baptist world, we get sucked in because we we have a lot of people who are more Republican than they are Christian and who are more Democrat than they are Christian. Yeah. And yeah, I think that's just true. Ways. Yeah, it's just true all over, right? Um, but our allegiance is to the Word of God and to you know biblical fidelity. Not to we're not trying to appease the world. I don't really care what the world says. Um, it, you know, in that sense, it's God's world, and it should be ruled by His Word. Uh, and this is what we have to stand on as believers. Now, we say all that very matter of factly. I think we do need to be. Um, we need to push for these things using wisdom, right? Um, And uh, being a jerk is not a fruit of the spirit. We've said that before, right? You know, so it doesn't mean we should just bowl people over um, without trying to help them understand uh, why this is the biblical view. And I would say even in the church, you know, um, for these people who have taken the exception views, it's just not biblical. And if you genuinely care about life, then you have to care about all of life. And then, you know, when we do this, it forces us to trust in God's sovereignty. Um, So, if a child is born with a deformality, 
ultimately, I mean, firstly, that's a consequence of living in a sinful world. But more importantly, God is sovereign over that. Right. And and the goal would be that whatever that deformity is, God gets glory out of that child's life because of that. Yeah. That's hard for us to understand as, as humans because we want everything to be nice and perfect, and it will be one day, right? But we aren't there yet. Um, and, and so, we've got to pull back and we've got to say, you know what? If it, it doesn't matter what the scenario is, what we can never do is take the life of that child. Um, we may struggle with what to do outside of that, but you, we have to always start with that. And that's the biblical position. So if you want to call that abolitionist, uh, again, I think I can make the argument that that is a, a better term. It, it eliminates confusion, I think. Yeah, right. Um, but whatever position you take, if that's what you believe, then you're right and you're biblical and let's not fight each other uh, over the term, right? Um, now, I think we need to pressure people who are passing laws to give these exceptions if they're Christian, because that's not what we want. So, we need to make sure that's not the reason. Uh, but yeah, I, we've just, we've got to work together and we need to not create unnecessary divisions in the church, yeah. right? Truth divides, but I think a lot of this division isn't from truth, it's from misunderstanding, no. Yeah. And, and so just to clarify something that you said, you mentioned that a lot of this confusion within the church is because people don't know God. And when we say that, we're not saying that you don't know God in a salvational sense. Um, right. We're saying that you don't know enough the of God's of character, God. um, uh, yeah. the character of God as revealed in Scripture. And that's exactly why we're in the Word. Uh, we should be in the Word on a regular basis uh, for the rest of our lives, because we want to know God better. Um, so, I think all of us, to some extent, can say that we don't know God as well as we ought to know God. And for those that um, take a position on this that is unbiblical, um, I, I would say you don't know God as well as you should in terms of this position, understanding God's um, God's holiness and, and the sanctity of life and, and His very involvement in creating life right from the womb. Yeah. Amen. Well, I hope that this has been helpful. I, I know we kind of talked all around all sort of the areas of this topic. I would just say as we close, keep in mind, it's a very emotional topic. And as believers, we're meant to be driven by the word of God, not our emotions. Um, and we need to, when we're talking to those who are genuine brothers and sisters in the faith, um, rather than assume evil motives, we need to give them the benefit of doubt. Yeah. We would accomplish far more and save far more lives um, innocent children's lives if we can work together and not create divisions where there are no divisions. Um, so, anything to add? No, I, I think this has uh, been a helpful topic. Hopefully, for our listeners, it's certainly being discussed a lot, but hopefully this gives you something to think about and, and some ways to be able to defend your position um, if indeed you, like us, are abolitionists as well. Amen. Well, we hope this has been helpful. Until next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.